Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back. Thank you for giving me a couple of weeks off. I appreciate Cody covering and for uh, always, as always, having our missionary in with us uh, last week, Wade and Barbara. But it is good to be back and just to be open in his book with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. And uh, our heart's desire is for you to be heard. So uh, whatever's heard of today, Father, let it be from the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the first four books of the New Testament are called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels. And the word gospel simply means the good news. It's the good news story. But these are the stories that tell the life story and ministry of Jesus. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first three are similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they share a lot of the same stories. They reveal a lot of the same teaching. And so theologians call those the synoptic gospels. Uh, I guess the word synoptic means similar. And John, of course, is different. John really wasn't intent on the historical chronology of the life of Jesus. He, he basically said, I want to fill in the blanks of what was missed in some of the other stuff. And so some personal stories that I personally experienced, John includes that in that. And so we have these four different looks at the life of Jesus, four different people telling the story of Jesus. And, and the first question I think that would come up is, why four? Why not just one? And the short answer is each one teaches us something different about God because of the unique perspective of the writer, right? Take the Christmas story, for example. Uh, Mark doesn't even mention the Christmas story in his gospel. He starts with the ministry of John the Baptist. And John, of course, his take on the incarnation is purely theological. He starts with, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and John 1.14, and the Word became flesh. Very theological, not necessarily biological, certainly not historical. And so we're really left with Matthew and Luke as the two preeminent sources for the Christmas story that we look at every year. And I was reading those two again uh, simultaneously, and I was struck by how very different they are. And so obviously the question is, why is that? Uh, Both tell the same story, but from very different perspectives. And when you read them together, uh, Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2, um, you hear two different voices. And so the question then is, well, whose voices are we hearing? Well, there were only two eyewitnesses to the birth narrative of Jesus, Mary and Joseph. That's it. And and we know, and we'll get to this later, that Luke's version is Mary's version. So Luke's giving us what you're hearing in Luke is Mary's voice. And so that would leave Joseph to be the voice that you're hearing in the Gospel of Matthew. And so Matthew is told from Joseph's perspective. Luke is told from Mary's perspective. You know, Luke was a physician. And so being a scientist and a historian, Luke says in the very beginning of his gospel, I wanted to set out to lay this thing out in accurate chronological order. You know, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And so you get this detailed description of the life of the early church and the movement of the Holy Spirit in the early church in the book of Acts. And he wants to do that again with the life of Jesus. 
And being the kind of person that he is, he's going to go back to original sources. And so Luke goes back and he interviews Mary. And I can just, I can just picture this physician, you know, with his bedside manner, his natural ability to interact with people uh, as he's done many times. And he's sitting across the table or next to Mary on the couch. And he's like, Mary, uh, I, tell us what happened. There are a couple of little clues to this. Uh, Luke 2, verse 19, it says, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. So she's just told the, the story of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, but it says that she had treasured these things, pondering. That word treasure uh, really means to keep safe or to keep in mind. And so what we see in Luke, and this explains why, is we're getting details to the Christmas story that had never been told before. In fact, uh, again, in Luke 2.51, it says, and he went down from there uh, with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. That's Jesus. And his, look at this. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And so you see that from this perspective, here's Luke the physician sitting with the mother of Jesus, and she's sharing things with him she hadn't told anybody before. Um, and so you see in these two gospel accounts, you see uh, a difference in how each character is treated. For example, Matthew's account describes Joseph's character. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, it says, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man. And so immediately we see Matthew's describing Joseph. But look, Luke's account describes Mary's character. It says, and coming in, this is Luke 128, and coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. And that favored one means blessed one. And obviously she's blessed because of the character of her heart. Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And so Matthew talks about Joseph's character, Luke talks about Mary's character. Matthew tells how Joseph was feeling, uh, verse 19 of chapter 1. And Joseph, her husband, this is when Joseph gets word that Mary's pregnant, and here's his reaction. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. This is devastating news to Joseph. See, they were engaged. He, he, they, it says her husband, but in the Jewish mind, once you're betrothed, you had a year of engagement before you came together. And during that year of engagement, it was as if you were married. And so the only way out of the engagement would be the same way out of a marriage. You would have to literally get divorced. And in order to get divorced in that system, he would have had to have publicly exposed Mary. And he loved her too much. And so he was considering putting her away, just sort of quietly secreting her away to cover what had happened. And, and we get from this the just the emotional gut-wrenching moment of, of Joseph and how he's feeling that Matthew describes. But in Luke, he includes Mary's feelings. When the angel came, it says in verse 29, she was very perplexed. And that word means agitated and confused. She was confused and disturbed, disoriented. She didn't know how to take it. And then you see a real difference in how the stories are told. Luke's account feels like a woman is telling the story. I'm just going to be honest with you. You say, why do I say that? Well, first of all, the story is layered with loosely related details. That's woman storytelling. 
I mean, she starts the story of the birth of Jesus by talking about the birth of John the Baptist. That's how women tell stories. Guys, how many times have you been telling a story and you get interrupted? That's not what happened. He wasn't wearing a red shirt. It was a blue shirt. Details matter. Aren't you going to tell about the part where he dropped the puppy? Uh, You want to tell this? You want me to tell this? Are you not going to include the story of the grandmother? You know? She wants details. She wants accurate detail. I was laughing about this with Amy. Here's the key difference in the way I tell a story and the way Amy tells it, okay? Suppose my son had a wreck. He didn't have a wreck, but suppose he had the wreck, and I've got to tell Amy. Here's how I would tell it. Micah had a wreck. He's okay. No lasting stuff. He'll be fine. We'll get the car fixed. And then Amy would bombard me with a lot of appropriate questions like, well, where'd he have the wreck? Who'd he have the wreck with? What happened to the car? What's going on? Is anybody else involved? All this stuff. I told you what you need to know. There was a wreck. Everybody's okay. We're going to get it all fixed. Here's how Amy would tell the story. Mike had a wreck. What? How? He was supposed to go and get his teeth cleaned today, but the dentist was sick. They aren't sure if he has a virus or the flu. He was really afraid that he might have the flu and infect others. Who, Micah? No, of course not. The dentist was afraid. So when they found out, they canceled all his appointments. I have a friend that got the flu not long after she went to the dentist. She'd been shopping for a new dress for her son's wedding. They have a sale at Dillard's, and she liked the blue one, but couldn't decide, so she needed to go to Jackson. But she also wanted to get a spray tan and have her teeth whitened. The spray tan guys were backed up, so she went ahead and scheduled whitening. And the dentist, she went to the dentist. Now she has the flu. They aren't sure she's going to be able to go to the wedding. Her son will be crushed. I think her sister's going to pick up the blue dress. Wait, what happened to Micah? I'm getting to that, okay? I got, I'm getting to it. I read this to Amy to make sure she was comfortable with my assessment. And she said, well, aren't you glad they interviewed a woman or we wouldn't know anything about the birth of Jesus? So naturally, when Mary starts to tell the story about the birth of Jesus, she starts with the birth of John the Baptist. Only she doesn't start with the birth of John the Baptist. She starts with Elizabeth's pregnancy. Only she doesn't start with that. She starts with her husband, Zechariah, who's in the temple, sees an angel. The angel says, uh, Elizabeth's going to have a baby. You're going to name him John. And all the dust up that comes after that, of why are they naming him John? Well, there's nobody in the family named John, but they're going to name him something else. No, his name will be John, right? And you get all of these layers upon layers of detail, right? Second, the subject matters from a woman's perspective in Luke. There's a lot of pregnancy talk. Just saying. I know it's about the birth of a baby, but listen, men don't talk about pregnancy. We just don't do it because pregnancy is mysterious, scary, and fraught with danger. We are likely to imply in some veiled way that some injury that we experienced at some point in our life was somehow as painful as delivering a baby, and that's a terrible idea. Or even worse, we might accidentally imply that someone is pregnant when they're not, and that's an even worse idea. And so what we do is we just stay away from the whole subject because it's got all this mystery to it. 
but not Mary. I mean, Luke's story, there's a lot of pregnancy talk. She started with Elizabeth's baby news, and then there's the story when uh, Elizabeth is six months pregnant, Mary's brand new pregnant. She goes over to visit Elizabeth, and when she walks into the house, the baby jumps in Elizabeth's womb. Men don't talk about babies jumping in women's wombs. You just don't do that. That's, that's, That's interesting to them. And then, I don't know if you knew this, but Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three more months, I I assume, till John the Baptist is born. And so there's all this interconnectedness related to read the nativity as if her mom were telling it. It's especially clear in the King James. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, and uh, underline this part, being great with child. In other words, Mary's nine months pregnant. And that's a detail that if you're a woman, you're nine months pregnant and you're traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem, either walking or riding a donkey, that's a detail that resonates with any woman that's ever been expecting a child. Guys, it's like, I don't know that we would include that. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Did you see that? The guy would say, well, she had the kid. She should be delivered. Who got delivered? Mary did. What was she delivered from? Pregnancy. She was delivered by having the baby. Verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Notice the intimacy of this, and laid him in a manger. And then this detail, because there was no room for them in the That's an important detail. Every woman reading this that has ever had a baby would have panicked at that thought. I mean, this is every woman's worst nightmare, even in perfect, pristine conditions of giving birth in a hospital. The birth process itself is traumatic. And so to read this and to say, and by the way, she was in a barn, man, that's stuff that women would, you know, when when women have babies, it's permanently tattooed in their mind. And they remember every detail of giving birth. The men can vaguely remember being at a hospital. They just remember not sleeping for about three or four months. Mary mentions Jesus' circumcision, presenting him to the Lord at the temple. Contrast all of this with Matthew. Matthew's account feels like a guy telling the story. First, the details are sparse. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. The whole pregnancy talk took 11 words. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. The labor and delivery are equally sparse, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. That's it. No barn, no stable, no manger, no shepherds, no angels, none of that. Second, it's not very personal. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, and I thought about this, notice after Jesus was born, not my son, not my boy, not my beloved, not my, compare that to what Mary said. And she brought forth her firstborn child, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room. It's just Jesus was born. Third story in Matthew emphasizes adventure. 
Chapter 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We come to worship him, right? Joseph never mentions the barn, never mentions the baby, never mentions the hardship or the harrowing trip down with a, a woman who's great with child. Doesn't mention any of that stuff. But man, the Magi show up and he's all over it. And they got wealth. He's seeing wealth he's never seen before, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And notice he's so wrapped up in this story that he gives this weird sidebar that they went first to Jerusalem. In other words, they got lost. Why would, why would he mention that part? Because he's a guy. And we care about navigation. These guys got lost, and embarrassing for them, they stopped to ask directions. And you just know Matthew's going, maybe they weren't so wise after all. All of that without talking about the manger. There's no mention of hardship in labor or difficulty in delivery in a barn with animals. It's mystery and intrigue and harrowing flight to Egypt. Mary's story is so different. There's no mention of kings and wise men. There's no mention of violence and intrigue. Mary's story is all about relationships and people and babies. Luke's story is like Little House on the Prairie, and Matthew's story is like Lord of the Rings. So by now you should be thinking, is there a point to this? I mean, okay, what are we talking about? Why, why are you wasting my time, Di? Why talk about this? Here's what I realized again. God used these two very unique people to tell the same story in two very different ways. And I think he's still doing that today. Stay with me because this is important. The redemption story began in Bethlehem, but it didn't end there. Are you with me? That story is still being told today. And it's being told by us, this generation we're the ones retelling the Christmas story. God is still telling it through us. When you encounter the life-changing power of redemption through Jesus Christ, then the redemption story becomes your story. The gospel story becomes your gospel story. You are the gospel at that point. And so here's, I want to say three quick things and then I'm done, okay? The first is every person needs a story. The redemption story starts with your redemption. You can't tell someone else's story. I mean, you can, but it's their story to tell. And I've said this many times, and I hope you've heard me. God doesn't have grandkids. He only has children. Every person has to come to Jesus Christ on his own. Every one of us to have a redemption story has to personally have experienced redemption. For you to be a part of the Christmas story, you have to meet the Christ of Christmas. And when you receive the gospel, you become part of the gospel. Now, let me say this carefully. The gospel never changes, okay? The word gospel means good news. Euangelion, good news. Angelos means message, and you is the part that means good. Good message. An evangelist is a person who brings a good message. But we need to understand there's some bad news in the good news. The good news makes no sense without understanding the bad news. 
The gospel is all about redemption, and here's the problem. All sin brings death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And that's, that's death right now. That's not waiting to die. The moment we sin, our spirits die within us. We're like dead men walking. We come under the bondage of death. That's what's going on in our world today, y'all. We don't have a poverty problem. We've got an impoverished spirit problem. We don't have a race problem. We've got a heart problem. Our people today have denied the reality of sin. They've tried to placate the concept of sin and say there is no such thing as sin. There is no such thing as God. And the result is we're still dead in our trespasses and sin. We're dead men walking. And then there's judgment later. Hebrews 9.27, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Now look, if you don't understand death and judgment, then why would you think this is good news? You have to understand the bad news for you to understand the good news. It's like, okay, my house is on fire. Alistair Begg tells a story. I love the story. He said one night he was awakened and, and the fire department came to his house banging on the door. He opens the door and they said, your house is on fire. He said, why are you here? They said, your house is on fire. Well, it wasn't his house. It was the neighbor's house that was on fire. But his point was that there are people whose houses are on fire and they don't even know it. And so they don't understand that it's good news. It's not good news for a fireman to show up at your house unless your house is on fire. And I got to tell you, your house is on fire because the wages of sin is death. And it's appointed unto man wants to die and then judgment. The whole point of Christmas was God dealing with our sin. Another way to say it is he came to reconcile us, 2 Corinthians 5, 519. Namely, that God was in Christ, and here's that word, reconciling the world to himself. That word reconcile was a relationship word. He says, not counting their trespasses against them. We are reconciled. That, that word is a counseling word that means uh, to bring people back together. It's the idea of people who are in conflict being brought together and reconciled. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. You see, sin separates us from God. Your sins have created a separation between you and God. And our loving Heavenly Father who created us for that relationship, the relationship was damaged through sin. And so Jesus became the ministry of reconciliation to put it back together. You know, I hear a lot of talk about the gospel is love. The gospel is love. It's all about how God loved us. Let me just say this. The gospel is not all about love. Now, let me be clear with our words. The gospel is motivated by love, for God so loved, because God so loved. The motivation of the gospel is love, but the gospel is not all about love. Jesus didn't come to earth to love us. He could have loved us from heaven. The gospel is about redemption and reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And when we, by faith, believe in who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, and we yield ourselves to the lordship of Christ in our lives, we are reconciled and we are redeemed. redeemed. And in that moment, we then have a story about God's love and redemption. 
And so the redemption story becomes our redemption story. The Christmas story becomes our story. Everybody needs a story. Do you have a story? Do you know what it's like to give your life to Christ? Have you experienced the freedom and liberation that comes from that? You've got to have a story. And your mom and dad's story is not the story you need. You need your own story. Secondly, every story is important. The gospel never changes, but how we experience the gospel is unique to every single one of us. Just as both Joseph and Mary's stories were important, your story is too. Can you imagine had Joseph or Mary not told their story? Then we, if Mary had only told the story, we would have missed the wise men and Herod and the, the babies in Bethlehem and all of that stuff. Had Joseph only told the story, we'd have missed the whole story of the birth of Jesus. But God in His wisdom uses your story and my story and her story and His story, and together we create, stitch together through the, through the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit, the cohesive idea of who God is and what He wants in people's lives. But every story is unique. Every person's encounter with Christ is unique. And your unique encounter is your story. And let me say this. Your story is exactly what someone needs to hear. I mean, when they hear what God has done in you, it opens their hearts to let Him do it in them. I say that because some of you don't think your story is important. One of the traps we can fall into, especially with a big retreat ministry, and I love the retreat ministry. You know, the power of the retreat ministry and the testimonies is, no matter what you've done, God loves you and has a plan for your life. And so you hear these radical stories of transformation. But the downside of that is it can leave you with the impression, well, I don't have this radical story. So maybe my story's not important. Every story is important. My wife was baby of the week at First Baptist Church, Port Arthur. Grew up in the home of a deacon and his wife. They were faithful to Christ. She became a Christian at the age of eight. She walked with Christ through high school. She walked with Christ through college. She has dedicated her life to serving Christ. There is not a greater testament to the power of the Holy Spirit than that he kept her from what so many of the rest of us had to go through. And that story is powerful and important. And there are people that need to hear it. I know that it's an old threadbare cliche, but you're the only Bible most people will ever read. And your story is the story that will uniquely affect some person's life that mine will never touch. Every one of you is uniquely positioned to touch a life in ways I never could. Which brings us to the third thing, your story must be told. God has given a story and that story has to be told. The Christmas story, the sad thing about the Christmas story is for so many people, it became a historical event. And it's not a historical event. It's a contemporary event because the Christmas story is our story right now today. Go back to 2 Corinthians 5. We looked at verse 19. He God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Look at verse 18. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself. There's that word again, through Christ. Now here's the point. And gave us what? The ministry of what? Reconciliation. 
Who God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, but who does he use to reconcile this world? You. Every person needs a story. Every story is important, and every story has to be told. You have to tell it. You are a participant in the gospel. Let me tell you a cool thing happened yesterday. Um, in 1989, uh, I went to Houston to pastor this little bitty church out by Katy in Houston. Uh, Amy and I had never lived in a city the size of Houston. We had a couple of little boys. And so we're in this little church in the suburbs, really lost. And the thing that I didn't like about living in the big city of Houston was it was like living in the wind. I mean, people were coming and going through my church all the time. They'd come in and go, look, I'm going to be here nine months. I'm going to be here a year. Conoco's about to move me to Casper. I'm about to go to, you know, Gabon, Africa. They're moving them all over the place. And nobody was ever planted. And so you couldn't build these long-term relationships. And it was really hard. But the other thing I hated was you never saw people again. You'd go all week long and never see somebody you knew. Yeah, I was in a small church, but I mean, go to the grocery store. No, no recognizable faces. But there was this little movie store called Midnight Video. Remember those days? Video stores? Some of y'all are like, ask your parents, they'll tell you about it. And you go rent VHS movies, which was really cool. And it was kind of a big thing for us because we didn't have any money. We were broke. We were in this little suburban situation. And um, so every Friday or Saturday, we'd go down to Midnight Video and, hey, let's go get a movie. It's where we discovered Barney. Uh, and so we got Barney, and we, we got all the veggie tails and all that stuff, you know, and we're living in that world. But we were recurring customers at this store, this midnight video store. And of all the places in Houston, the one place that I sort of built a relationship with somebody that I would see all the time was the movie store lady. Her name was Teresa. And she was the movie store lady. She was always there. And so through that relationship over time of recurring, going back and renting movies, I would invite her to church. Hey, um, I'm pastor over at North Monroe. Why don't you come over? And she'd see us and our kids and our family. And, and uh, she came a few times. She came. Um, and then yesterday, y'all, this happened yesterday morning. I woke up and I had an email. And it was from Teresa. I promise I have not talked to her since 1993 or four. Here's what she said. You probably don't remember me, but I used to work at Midnight Videos close to Autumn Creek Baptist Church. I just wanted to reach out and tell you thank you for inviting me to your church back then. She, she said that when she came to Houston with her mom, they didn't attend church. Uh, she said, I attended church regularly till I was about 12. She said, I appreciate your kindness and encouragement. Thank you for being a vessel of God's goodness. My husband and I have been serving the Lord for 30 years together and are so grateful for the people in our lives who have shared God's love with us and we count you among them. That happened yesterday. What a beautiful, encouraging thing for her to do. And I was convicted of two things. First, I need to encourage the people that encouraged me because I don't, I haven't wrote an email to anybody. So I felt very convicted about her graciousness. But secondly, I felt super convicted about the power of God 
that I, that I sometimes don't trust in. Because I think yeah, if I tell my story, I've got to see the results and I've got to know that it happens. And a lot of times, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I feel as if it depends on me. And what I heard God say was, Die, I got this. You aren't responsible for results. You just be faithful and you can't believe what I'm going to do. Tell your story. And that's the word that I would give to you this morning. Tell your story. You don't know what an impact it's going to have on people's lives and who it even is. And some of them may write you a note 30-something years later to say thank you, but most of them never will, and you'll meet them in heaven. Everybody's got to have a story. Do you have a story? Do you have a redemption story? Do you know that the Christmas story is your story? Well, why don't you settle that today? And every story is important. Don't let anybody tell you your story's not important. You have the story someone else is desperate to hear. So tell your story. Would you pray with me right now? I want to ask you, first of all, if you're not sure that you have a story right now, would you just say, God, I need Christ in my life. I want the Christmas story to be my story. I want the redemption story to be my redemption story. God, I give my life to you best I know how. I just cry out to you. I don't know all the right things to say, but God, here I am. Forgive me of my sins. Take me. Heal me. You know, the word says that when we cry out to God, he forgives our sins and we pass from judgment into life. Thank you, Father, for the victory of salvation. Do you realize how important your story is? Father, I pray that you would convict us about the importance of the redemption story, that we would not take it for granted. And that we would realize that when we receive the gospel, we become the gospel. And the gospel that's in us is the gospel that the people around us are desperate to hear. So, Father, here's our commitment to you. We're going to tell our story because it's your story. And this is going to be your story coming from us. We're going to leave the results to you. We have no idea how profoundly powerful you are. We have no idea how you're working in so many different ways. But God, make us faithful to share our story. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.